Well, this is Thanksgiving weekend, and throughout Canada, people are preparing themselves to pause for a moment to give thanks. Some for food, some for family, some for freedom, some for football, and a whole lot for hockey. Uh, And over the next day or so, we will be giving thanks for many, many things. But this morning, I've got to ask the question, it's not a matter of for what we give thanks, but to whom? Do we give thanks? In a fascinating article called Insurances of the Heart, Cornelius Plantinga raised a point. He said, it must be an odd feeling to be thankful to nobody in particular. Christians in public institutions often see this odd happening on Thanksgiving Day. Everyone in the institution seems to be thankful in general. It's a very strange thing, he says. It's a little like being married in general. (laughs) For, For thanks to be thanks, for it to have any meaning at all, it has to be put into a direction. It is not simply a matter of what it's for, but really who it's to. And it's a matter of careful focus that we make. And so as we turn to the scriptures, we find that we we are surrounded by all sorts of models of thanksgiving for many things in general, but we also find that they are all directed to one source. When God's people give thanks, it is consistently directed toward God and the discovery of who God is and what he has done. And you find that in private expressions that that serve as a model for us to find our voice. And and then you also find it in public declarations of thanksgiving where the hearts of God's people uh, are, are, are are tuned to a single note of thanksgiving and of praise. And this is found nowhere more than in the book of Psalms. It's the original hymn book of the people of God. In the 23rd chapter of the book of Leviticus, we find that there is a a, a calendar of events that is is set up for God's people, a calendar of events and celebrations. Thanksgiving Day is there as well. In, In the 23rd chapter of Leviticus, we find the Sabbath performed each week, and then we also find annual events, the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and at the end of the chapter, we find the Feast of Tabernacles. That's Thanksgiving. It's a, it's a festival that, that, that came at the end of the rainy season when all of Israel would come to Jerusalem there to fulfill and renew their vows of praise to God. The gift of rain was as much as the as a gift of prosperity and, 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 and provided abundant reasons to give thanks to God. And there are a number of psalms, then, that are associated with this particular festival. The Feast of Tabernacles include psalms like Psalm 1 and uh, other psalms, but the one I want you to look at with me this morning is Psalm 65. And if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn there with me as we kind of linger in it. Now, one of the things you'll notice about the psalm, the first thing is, is what I have in your sermon outline is the setting of the psalm. It, 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 it is a, it's a time of celebration that belongs to all of God's people. You see that in verse 1 and 2. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. What is the voice of the psalm? Well, it's plural. 
all of God's people are gathered together. The place of the psalm, well, it's in Zion. It is that hill in Jerusalem where the temple was located and where all God's people would gather together for celebration and for worship. And the expectation of the psalm in this setting, it's an expression, it's a prayer that belongs to everyone who comes to God. And so it is here where you and I learn what it means to give thanks. Now, when you look at the psalm, you'll find that it is divided into three parts. And it's only really in the third part that you actually find the reason for thanksgiving, because God there is so good. And so there are three parts to this, and we're going to kind of walk it from the end to the beginning uh, as we look at the psalm. Listen to uh, to verse 9 through 11 once again. You care for the land and you water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For so you have ordained it. You, you drench its furrows and, its, and, and level its ridges. You, you soften it with a shower and you bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty. And your carts overflow with abundance. The grassland of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. And the mountains are covered with flocks. And the And the valleys are mantled with grain, and they shout for joy and sing. (laughs) The Old Testament scholar, Derek Kidner, he writes it best when he says, the climax of this psalm, this third part, with a a stanza as fresh and irrepressible as the fertility it describes, puts every harvest hymn to shame as something plotting or contrived. (laughs) Here we almost feel the splash of showers and sense the springing growth around us because the whole psalm pulsates with life, whether it's sung in the temple courts or in the vast dominion of earth among the hills and the valleys where his very passing awakens into life with a splash of showers. (laughs) Some of you remember my mom lives in the desert of Arizona. I oftentimes go down there, and I love uh, uh, visiting there, but it's hot and dry. And what I really like to do when I'm down there is to go to her grocery store, especially to walk through the produce aisle in her grocery store, especially when it's really hot and dry outside and I've been playing golf. Um, And periodically, as you walk through the produce, there will be a, a, a sound over the sound system of gentle thunder. And I've noticed that at the sound of the thunder, suddenly... A, a, a sprinkler system sends out a spray out of, over all the vegetables. And, and that's when I start looking at the vegetables very closely. <laughs> Talk about feeling the splash of showers and the sense of springing growth in the heat of the desert. It's as if to say, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. Isn't that great? Now just pause for a moment and look around and realize that God really is so good. Too often we take for granted his blessing and everything touched by God that brings blessing our way, we take it for granted. From the clouds to the rain, to the fields, to the grain, to the table, a whole stream is flowing with God's goodness. And for all these things and more we give thanks. I love the story told by Joel Greggy here. He says, One Thanksgiving season, our family was seated around the table looking at the annual holiday bird, turkey, 
From the oldest to the youngest, we were, to express, uh, we were all uh, to express our praise. And so when we came to the five-year-old in the family, he began by looking at the turkey and expressing his thanks to the turkey, saying although he had not tasted it, he knew it would be good. And after that rather novel expression of thanksgiving, he began with a more predictable line of credits, uh, thanking his mother for cooking the turkey and his father for buying the turkey. Uh, But then he went beyond that. He joined together a whole hidden multitude of benefactors and linking them with cause and effect. He said something like this. I I thank you for the checker at the grocery store who checked out the turkey. I I thank you for the grocery store people who put it on the shelf. I I thank you for the farmer who made it fat. I I thank you for the man who made the feed. I thank you for those who brought the turkey to the store. And using his detective-like little mind, he traced the turkey all the way back from its origin as an egg to his plate. And then at the very end, he solemnly said, did I leave anybody out? (laughs) His two-year-old brother then, embarrassed by all the proceedings, said, God. Solemnly and without being flustered at all, the five-year-old said, I was about to get to him. The fact is, we are surrounded by things for which we are able to give thanks. But you need to notice in Psalm 65, that's the end of the story, part three. It all begins really with a focus, and it begins with God. And it begins with a set attitude in our hearts to see him before we see anything else. Thanksgiving begins as it is given to God. Now, I like the way this psalm begins. It says, Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. Would it surprise you to know that there is a bit of debate among scholars about this psalm? Some will say, oh, <clears throat> it's not a, a song of thanksgiving. It's a, it's a hymn of praise, not thanksgiving. <laughs> and to be honest, as I've read through the commentators, I really can't see how you can have one without having the other. Praise and thanksgiving, it seems like they go together like love and marriage. You know, they go together. And especially if you get them in the right order. And here is where the lesson really lies for thanksgiving. In verses 1 through 8, what we have is as much a lesson in theology as it is an expression of personal experience. Because in those first eight verses, David exposes the greatness of God in two ways. In the first, in verses 2 through 4, we find that God is great as a redeemer. He is our great redeemer, able to forgive us our sins. And to remove any barrier or obstacle that would stand between us and him. Listen to the words of there. Oh, you who hear prayer, to you all men will come When we were overwhelmed by our sins, you forgave us our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. Anyone who has ever chosen to look at their own sins seriously knows what it's like to be overwhelmed. It's like being surrounded by by a mountain range that prevents you from going any further in life let alone getting closer to God. It's like being buried under this mountain of shame and guilt and and it leaves you pinned and helpless to escape. And you need someone who is greater, someone larger, and someone bigger than that range to come to your rescue. 
And here we see that God is that one. And he is the one who has made the choice to forgive the sins and to bring you home to his house and to stay. God is great, the great redeemer. But we also see here that God is great, the great creator. Look at verse 5. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and all the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the nations, those living far away, fear your wonders. Where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You call forth. And the sound of his voice brings forth creation itself. This is a a vision of God that goes far beyond the narrow circles of our lives. And it has a horizon as, as far and as deep as the formation of the world and as high as the ceiling of the heavens. There are some of you like me who were raised in a church tradition where in, in junior high, I had to attend confirmation classes, and I had to learn my theology by memorizing a catechism, which was a list of truths and explanations about God that were drawn from the Apostles' Creed. And the catechism I had to remember, I memorized was written by Martin Luther, and the very first thing I had to memorize came from the first sentence of the Creed, the first article of creation, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then the question came, what does this mean? Now, I memorized the answer, but forgive me as I read it. (laughs) The answer is, I believe that God has created me in all that exists, that he has given and still preserves to me my body, my soul, my eyes, my ears, and all my members, my reason, and all the power of my soul, together with food and raiment and home and family and all my property, and that he daily provides abundantly for all the needs of my life, protects me from all danger and guards and keeps me from all evil, and that he does this purely out of fatherly and divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me for which all I am in duty bound to to thank and praise and serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. (laughs) I love the way Luther wrote that last line. I know these things about my God, and if I accept these things to be true, if I believe that God is my creator and my redeemer and and is able to forgive my sins and is willing to provide me with divine goodness and mercy, then... Here's how he puts it. I am duty-bound to thank him and praise him and serve him and obey him. How about you? How about you? How about you? How about you? And here then the psalm ties all the things together. Thanksgiving and praise, they're not isolated in themselves. They're all tied together in our hearts. And as it says here in verse 1, praise awaits the one who has made a vow. And I would suggest to you that, that it is a, is a vow that each one of us are to make. It is a vow to be thankful, even before we have anything to be thankful for, because our thanks are given to God. It is a vow simply because 
God is God and is worthy of your trust. I cannot help but think that we make a mistake whenever we wait to give thanks until we have something to be thankful for. The fact is, our thanks goes to God, and that is where then we begin. When we choose to trust God, we have made a choice to live then with the spirit of thanksgiving, regardless of anything else. In everything we read in the New Testament, we give thanks. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. In everything, we are to give thanks. And when such a spirit exists, then I guess it's no surprise that then praise erupts spontaneously. And maybe that will make a difference out of this Thanksgiving for you. It's not just a time to look back and find something to say. Oh, I got to, okay, then I'll thank, I'll thank God for the grocer who gave me this turkey. I, don't, I can't think of anything else. It's not just a time to look back to find something to say. It's a time to, in fact, look up and find the one worthy of your trust, a great God who is Redeemer, a great God who is your Creator. And Thanksgiving, when, that is, when, when it's something of a vow, means that you have come to that place where you accept the life that God has given you. And such an attitude makes all the difference in life. In an earlier age, the preacher, Henry Ward Beecher, he spoke of the spirit of thanksgiving, and I love the picture that he painted with his words. Let me share them with you. If one would give me a dish of sand and tell me that there were particles of iron in it, I might look for them with my eyes and search for them with my clumsy fingers and be able to detect them. But instead, let me take a magnet and sweep through the sand and now it would draw unto itself almost the almost invisible particles by the mere power of attraction. The unthankful heart, he says, is, is like my finger in the sand. It discovers no mercies. But let the thankful heart sweep through the day, and as a magnet finds the iron, as it sweeps through the day, so it will find in every hour a heavenly blessing. Only the iron in God's sand is not iron, It is true gold. There is something powerful, something something deep in the simple act of thanksgiving and something even more powerful when we share it together. In just a moment, I'm... As as this psalm was meant to be shared with God's people, I'm going to invite you to join your voice together with me in a In a closing prayer, it's a a form of litany by which I I speak of the things for which we give thanks and then we will all say the words of thanks. We thank you, Lord. These are are general statements that will be made. But like like that magnet going through the iron, you, you can take these general statements into your life and then begin to add the detail and the detail and the detail and the detail. For like gold, they... They come to the attraction. But ultimately, they all come down to one source. It is God who loves you, who cares for you, and has called you to himself. And so, as you have it in your worship folder, and as you can also see on the screen, I want to end with 
a prayer where as I lead, we all say together, we thank you, Lord. Can you say that together? Let's practice that. We thank you, Lord. Good. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. So let's lift our hearts up to God in praise and thanksgiving as we count our blessings and acknowledge the goodness and the greatness of a God who loves us. Let us give thanks to God, our Father, for all his gifts so freely bestowed upon us, for the beauty and the wonder of your creation and earth and sky and sea. We thank you, Lord, for all that is gracious in our lives and our fellowship, revealing the image of Christ. We thank you, Lord. And for our daily food and drink, our our homes and families and our friends, we thank you, Lord. For minds to think and hearts to love and hands to serve, we thank you, Lord. For health and strength to work and serve and, and leisure to rest and play, we thank you, Lord. And for the brave and courageous who are patient in suffering and faithful in adversity. We thank you, Lord. For all these things and so much more, we thank you, Lord. Above all, we give you thanks for the great mercies and promises given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. To him be praise and glory now and forever. Amen.